In the world of IT and throughout life in general, there are always going to be jobs that no one else wants to do. They're hard, time-consuming, and starting them might only lead to more problems and questions. But according to Jim Fowler, those are the jobs you always want to take. Jim is the CTO of Nationwide, and he says that by taking those tough jobs, he was able to build skills that have helped him become a technology leader. He explains that and discusses all the technology and innovation going on behind the scenes at Nationwide on this episode of IT Visionaries. Enjoy the conversation. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, on the other side of the country, Jim, what's going on? Hey, how are you doing, Ian? Great to have you on the show. Super excited to get into all things IT and technology nationwide and into your background. So first, how did you get into technology in the first place? <laughs> Funny story. I, you know, I went to college here in Ohio. I went to Miami University, was studying marketing. And I had this vision of being the next great salesperson. And in my fresh end of my freshman year, I did a summer internship, cold call selling advertising for a small newspaper and realized very quickly that I hated sales. And uh, that same summer, my dad was a pharmacist of a small pharmacy in my hometown. And he was installing his first pharmacy management system, converting from paper records to computer records. So I would do the advertising deal during the day. And at night, I helped him install and convert all of his patient records. Uh, And I went back that fall and added uh, information systems to my major. And I haven't looked back since. Yeah, and you wrote a great um, LinkedIn article where you're talking about, you know, career advice for your younger self. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is how you kind of mentioned taking the job that no one else wants. Um, And it kind of seems like, you know, especially some of those early, uh, you know, IT roles and things like that were really just kind of making sense of the chaos, you know, adding... uh, adding the kind of digital layer to, to, the, to the real world. Did you kind of feel like doing jobs that nobody else wants was, uh, was a key part of that? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely do. You know, typically when I was, for, for the jobs I look back on that nobody wanted, there was typically a problem. Uh, it was prob- typically a problem that needed to be solved with technology. And it was typically a hard change to an existing set of processes that just nobody wanted to tackle because they knew they were going to find problems underneath. And, and I'd say what made most of them uh, really important is you had no authority to do the work that needed to be done. And so you found that you had to build the ability to influence people, which means you had to be a good communicator and you needed to be able to explain in very simple terms how technology was going to make their life better, hopefully. Uh, and, and do it in such a way that you got their buy-in because they had the authority and you didn't. And I'd say that that for me has been, when I look back at my career, probably the skill I've had to use the most and that I built in those kind of seminal jobs in my career. 
Yeah, we had a great interview with Marine Allison, the CISO of Johnson & Johnson, and she was saying how every role that she had in her career was something that she was not qualified for at all. She'd never done anything like it. And I kind of feel like that's kind of the state of the CIO. Uh, you know, every few years is kind of this like reinvention of like what a CIO is or what technology is. And it seems like, you know, if you're kind of the person who um, just kind of did the status quo over, you know, the last decade or, you know, going forward in the next decade, you're just not going to be set up for success. Yeah. You know, one of the jobs I look back on that, that exact thing happened to me was I was uh, in my dream job. Um, I'd always wanted to be the CIO for the power business within GE. It was the, you know, it was the oldest business in the company. It was, it was, you know, storied back to Thomas Edison. And I remember I got that job and I'm three months into that job and my phone rings. Uh, and it was the uh, group CIO at the time. And she said, uh, Hey, we've got a problem. Uh, one of your peers just quit and it was, uh, Martha Poulter had left to go to Starwood and they needed to have a CIO in the capital business, which was the biggest business in G at the time. And it had just been regulated. And so here it is com coming under being a SIFI regulated business, me with an industrial background and no financial services. And I'm like, you, you gotta be kidding. I'm the last person you want to talk to about this job. You need somebody with financial services background. Uh, two days later, she called me back and said, we really need you to do it. We got to get this job filled and we'd like you to go take it. And here I am with, you know, all of 15, 16 plus years of experience in industrial business background going in to take on a strategically important financial institution CIO role uh, with no background in finance. And uh, it took everything I could to have to muster the ability to learn the business and, you know, I was scared, uh, scared, senseless walking into that job. But I look back on it now and it was frankly one of the reasons I came to Nationwide is once I got there and I saw how exciting financial services is, when the Nationwide opportunity came up, it was frankly taking me back to that job that I didn't think I wanted at the time uh, that taught me that there was a different side of technology that I hadn't seen in those industrial jobs that I get to do here. But, but to your point, every job I've gone into, I'd say Maureen is right. It's you're, you're picking up, if you're not scared because there's something you don't know how to do in the job, it's probably not the right choice uh, to keep developing yourself. I love that. And, you know, flash forward to today, your role as CIO at Nationwide, like what, what is that like? What is the scope of your work? You know, we, so I run technology. So we have a, a broad nationwide technology organization. Uh, and we really have three different focus areas. The first is what you think of as traditional IT, the optimization and automation of business processes. We've been rewriting for the past four years every underlying transactional system we have in the company to streamline our operations and become as efficient as we can, as we can at how we run the company. And so that's one element of technology. Second element of technology is also something you think about traditionally, which is the associate digital workplace and providing a modern set of tools uh, to an organization that we think is going to continue to become more citizen-driven, citizen-driven development, citizen-driven data science. We think we've got to be able to provide those tools. And then the, the third area, which may be a little bit different from, from some CIOs roles, is the transformation of our products in a digital world. So owning the technical capability for usage-based insurance products or 
the technology for how we're going to build robo-advising into our retirement plans applications. Um, that element of technical development also sits within my team and my responsibility. And so how much are you, you know, into the customer insights, you know, how close are you to the customer in kind of that digital customer experience? Yeah. So if I kind of took my day, um, kind of looked at it and kind of broke it up, uh, about, uh, about a quarter to 30% of my time right now is really thinking about the external customers that we do business with and how they want to interact with us. Uh, and I'd say that's a change for the role. When I got here, I don't think that was as much scoped as part of the role. And that's really changed over the last 12 months. I'd say there's another 25% of my time that's really focused on product development and how we think about developing products that are built on top of technology. So you could say that was somewhat customer focused. It's about 25% of my time that's on the people side of the job and how do we make sure we've got the right people to help us build this future. And then 25% of my time on kind of the traditional, how do we, how do we optimize the business processes that we run in IT? And so it's become somewhat of an even mix of those four elements within my job today. Yeah. And so how do you kind of organize that team? It seems like, you know, this is one of the kind of common, um, a common occurrence now with kind of the modern CIO is that you kind of do have this, um, this kind of delineation of those things. But, you know, when organizing quote unquote traditional IT talent, it might be, uh, it might be a new muscle to build. Ian, it's a really complicated question because it starts with what I think is an overused term, but I'm going to use it anyway, where everybody wants to talk about the digital transformation that their business is going through. Uh, most overused term and most misunderstood term there is. And so the conversation that I've been having at the leadership level is I want them to think about this digital transformation in three buckets. One is how we run the place. We're going to run the place with more automation, with more efficiency because technology is doing more of the work that used to be done in an analog fashion. And there's a bucket of work that has to happen there. That work is going to be primarily done by our business unit chief information officers in concert with the process and operations leaders of those business. We think about who owns that part of digitization. It's going to be within business unit CIOs. The second element is that digital workplace. And we have a digital workplace team that we've put in place that that's all they're thinking about is how do I give better productivity tools to end users to become citizen developers, citizen data scientists, to really enable them to make faster decisions, increase the velocity of decision making. And, and that sits within our chief technology officer and infrastructure team's responsibility. And we've organized them around that mandate. And then the third is around how do we change our products and services to, to use technology to better protect uh, our customer. That we put under the responsibility of a chief digital officer that reports to me, but the chief digital officer does that in partnership with the chief innovation officer who's looking at adjacencies, products we're not in today, and innovation leaders in each business. So now I'm going to stop and say that sounds really complicated and it is, 
because here's the secret, digital innovation, they're not a separate organization. And I think too long as IT professionals, we've been trying to say that this is a separate organization when in reality, our job is to help facilitate it within the organization. So when I talk about this with the leadership team, I said there's a large ecosystem of people who their hair on the back of their neck goes up when they feel like somebody else is trying to do their job. And we've got to change the culture to say inside, all of us are working toward the same outcome, which is how do I help protect individuals, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care? That's what we do. And it shouldn't matter that we've got people who cross organizational bounds that are doing similar work. As long as we're all focused on the customer and providing them a better experience and let's forget the organizational nonsense of who reports to whom and that's been hard i'd say we're still working through it but for those people i think that are looking for an organizational construct that works i think you've got to expect a deconstructed organization to be successful and it goes back to that influencing conversation that we started off with, that it's my ability to influence those stakeholders that's going to determine my, step, my success, not some authority that's going to come from having them all organized underneath me. No, I love it because, um, because I think that um, it's a really tough problem. It's definitely not one that is even explained in, in five minutes or something like that. And it's something that I think... Um, I think security professionals feel, I think, you know, chief data officers with the rise of that, you know, role and, and how this all shakes out. I mean, I think kind of fundamentally, you know, like going back to the basics and figuring out how you want to do it. And there's obviously no right way, but at the end of the day, like, um, you know, people who are working on what, you know, whether you call it employee experience and versus customer experience or, or, or whatever it is, you know, the people on your team need to have the right tools that can help them do their job better uh, and faster. And, and ultimately, your customers need to have a seamless experience that's aided by technology. And it's like somebody has to own, own that interaction. Uh, and there's many facets within it. You know, I, I also talk about I'd rather have multiple shots on goal from inside nationwide working together than competing against each other inside and forgetting that the competition is on the outside. So maybe more well said, helping my teams here understand that we're not competing against each other. We're competing against somebody outside and we each have a different role to play, even when it overlaps and we might be doing similar work. I love that idea. It's, and it, it's a great analogy um, because I think that, you know, part of the problem is like, you know, if you're not sharing between those senior leaders, if those people aren't on the same page, you're going to have trouble. But, you know, uh, the other side of this is like, how do you kind of break that mindset when people are kind of like, hey, you know, whether it's headcount or budget or uh, technology tools or whatever it is, there kind of is that sense of potential competition and you need to, you need to kind of, uh, you know, put a bug in that. How do you do that? what we've started to do is go back to being very definitive about the outcomes that we want to drive. Uh, you know, maybe an outcome that we want to drive is we want to increase self-service across our PNC platform. Well, let's agree on what the end state should look like. So I'm, I'm making this up for ex, uh, just to, to uh, help explain it. Let's say we, we want to be 75% of our transactions 
uh, with a customer. We want to be driven by self-service. Let's all rally around the outcome that we want to drive and think about each of the initiatives as building blocks toward that 75% then fighting about what building blocks to go after. And if the first building block gets us 10% of the way there, great. If the second building block gets us 5% more, great. But let's stop arguing about whether to start with one or two and let's get as many of them in path to get to that goal as possible. And when you, when you put it in those terms where people are working together toward a common high-level outcome, it starts to take some of the emotion out of it. You've talked about how Nationwide is you know, transitioning into a technology company. Um, you know, this is kind of like one of the a common parlance at this point of like, you know, every company is a technology company. So like clearly technology is critical for every company, but kind of what do you mean by kind of that, that transition and, and how do you see that kind of playing out? One of the things I was really intrigued by when I came to Nationwide is that our mission is pretty simple. It's a promise. We promise to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care and at the end of the day, that's what we sell. We sell a promise. We promise to make it right if you wreck your car. We promise to make it right if, your fam- if, something, uh, if somebody needs to provide to your family, if something happens to you. We, we, we make a promise that uh, you'll have income in retirement when you buy an annuity. Uh, and the reality is that technology has really changed the way in which we make and keep those promises. You know, for the past 30 years, technology has really automated the record keeping of what we do around promises. We've had record keeping systems for a long time. We've recently refreshed all of those underlying systems, and we've now moved on from record keeping to distribution. You know, engagement in the selling process with our partners is transforming our ability to meet customers where they are. It's helping us underwrite and price our product more effectively. It's helping us provide a better extraordinary experience when it comes to the care side of it. And so at the end of the day, for me, the reason that we're as much a technology company as anything else is technology is allowing us to make and keep promises in a much more efficient and productive way than we could in the past. Is there like a moment or a conversation or maybe probably a series of conversations that you had with the leadership team about you know, shifting to a technology first mindset. Like I would imagine that with a company that's, you know, been around as long as nationwide, um, you know, with the size of organization that you have and all of that, that, you know, and people, you know, spread out, you know, all over, obviously that that type of shift might be something difficult to kind of get everybody kind of rowing in the same direction on. Um, was there like some moments or things that, that you thought were kind of indicative of like, Hey, we need to shift this, uh, forward or we'll get left behind. You know, um, this is the magical part about this job. When I first got called for it, uh, I got to admit, uh, I thought insurance company, I'm not quite sure that's where I want my future to be. Uh, but a magical thing happened and it was really the interview. I came up for my first round of interview and they had me sit down with the three business unit presidents. So the three major parts of the business, they met with me one-on-one or they met with me as a group for about, uh, about an hour and a half. And in the hour and a half proceeded to tell me, not me, tell them, tell me that if they didn't disrupt the way that they work, that they didn't think this company would be around in 10 years. 
and that they were looking for somebody to come in and continue what my predecessor had started, which is modernizing the underlying platforms, but then help them disrupt the way that they operate the business. Because if it's one thing this company does and does well, it sees around corners and it's been around for a hundred years and they want to make sure it's around for the next hundred. And I was blown away, right? These are the three business unit leaders telling me that technology was the determining factor of the future of the company or not. So I go back and I tell my wife, I'm shocked. This isn't what I expected. Round two comes around. I come and I meet with our CEO. He's a 60 something a uh, 42 year veteran in the industry. I didn't quite know what to expect. I walk into his office. First thing I know he's wearing an Apple watch. Second thing I know he's got his iPad in front of him. Third thing I see is he's got his Yahoo dashboard behind him on everything that he's looking in the financial markets. And I hear the exact same story. Here's a 42 year old, a 42 year veteran of the company telling me that the company he grew up uh, in that was analog couldn't be around in the future if it wasn't a technology company. And they were looking for help doing that. Uh, and then the third thing happened, which was my interview with the board. Uh, we're a private company. Our heritage is farming. But we came out of the Ohio Farm Bureau and I met with two of our board members who happened to be farmers. And for about 60 minutes with the two board members had a more cogent and fulsome conversation around how technology was going to change the future of this company than I think I've had with any set of leaders any time in my career. And I was blown away at the forward nature that this leadership team thinks about technology and frankly, protecting the brand that they've been entrusted with. And so I know that's going to sound unique for some of your listeners, but I'm in the perfect storm of a business leadership team that's pushing me harder sometimes than I'm pushing them to transform. Well, and you, you know, you said at the beginning that when you went into the role at GE Capital, I believe that, you know, one of the things that was exciting for you was that you, you know, went heads down and had to learn about the business. Um, it seems like you probably had a similar, although you had a, a little bit more experience with it this time around, it's still a very, you know, different, you know, product and, and product suite and, um, although I guess, you know, technically still financial services, but, um, it seems like, you know, with that type of responsibility of them saying, Hey, we know technology is the way to go. We want you to be, uh, to lead this conversely you have the responsibility of now it's my job to know every single thing about the business. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, I'd say the first 90 days I tried to, to do all listening and no talking uh, and just immerse myself in the businesses. And so um, I did a couple of things. One, I spent time with every member of the executive leadership team. So I think the top hundred people in the company I went and I just, I, I heard their feedback where, what was their product? How did they make money? How do their customers make money? What are their customers looking to protect and how are they trying to protect it? And just tried to immerse myself in each of their business units and sub-businesses to understand how they ran their, ran their process and their product. I did a kind of virtual ride-alongs. I went out into the call centers and I listened to calls, you know, people calling on their retirement plans to take loans. First notice of death call, somebody who's, got, who's calling on a life insurance policy you know, learning how we handle that, going into an operations center, hearing somebody calling is having a problem or making a claim on a, an auto policy or a home policy. I wanted to experience what they were experiencing. 
Third thing is I force myself to buy all our products. You know, that sounds, uh, sounds logical, but you think about the breadth of our products, every product that I was eligible for, I went and got. So I'm now a pet insurance owner. I'm a auto and home owner. I'm a life insurance owner. I want to experience it from a customer's perspective on what it was like and go through that process. And then I spent a lot of time listening to associates, really getting out in with the IT associates, with the operations associates, taking their feedback about what works, what doesn't, and just took those first 90 days to jump in the deep end, if you will, to learn as much as I could and not make any proclamations that I, that I knew or thought there was a better way to do something. Uh, and that's really how I got myself into it, Ian. I like it. A little undercover boss action, perhaps. don't know how undercover it was, but I learned a lot. I mean, it really did help me, uh, you know, have some empathy for our associates and, and how their jobs were impacted by technology, empathy for our customers. And, and we have kind of two levels of customers. We've got intermediaries who sell our products. So think about distribution arms and they have experience with us, but then there's the, you know, the end consumer of our products. You know, the person who's got a, home policy or an auto policy, or they've got a 457 retirement plan with us, you know, getting some empathy for how they viewed our products and, and doing business with us, I think helped me come up the learning curve more quickly uh, than I even thought was possible. That, that was, I'd say, invaluable experience that I got. Well, and, and I wanted to ask too, you know, you have obviously a product suite for personal and for business. Um, which are extremely different, you know, types of buyers and problem sets and things like that. I'd imagine that in those, they use data differently. They use technology. They, you know, want to talk to human beings in potentially a different way or bots or whatever. Um, how did you look at kind of separating those two things? So um, I'd say it's, it's both the difference between our commercial world and our personal world. You are right. And, and, you know, getting myself into understanding that, but it's also within those, there's different demographics. Um, you know, we had a business that grew up under an exclusive agent world where there was a nationwide agent who came to your house and sold you our products, both business and, uh, personal lines. And we really had moved away from that to these intermediaries where we expect customers, uh, are going to want to meet us in different ways. Some are still going to want to go to a person to buy a product. But there's some that want a more digital experience. And so digital natives and their view of how they want to consume the products and services we sell are different than, uh, are different than maybe a millennial segment or a value seeking segment and being able to, to learn those different marketing segments that we want to work with uh, was also part of what I had to do to come up to speed in the job. Uh, and I'd say I'm still learning that. I, you know, I'm a year into the job and I, I, I'm just at the point where I feel comfortable talking about the distribution channels with any, any even inkling of really knowing what I'm talking about. That's probably been the hardest part about this transition. How do you look at new technologies and finding new technologies and things like that? Because it seems like it's one of the things that when we've talked to CIOs that like, having a strategy for innovation and having a strategy for how you, you know, find innovation and create new ideas and have those kind of bubble up is, is important. Um, but it can be tough when you're trying to, you know, just keep the lights on and do things like that. Yeah. I think you've always got to have an eye for what, for, for technology. Uh, but it has to be, and I, and I look at it with two lenses. 
Um, one lens is more of a design engineering lens. So uh, take artificial intelligence, really digging into artificial intelligence and understanding the different types of machine learning, understanding the different types of predictive analytics that can be married with it. Uh, there's a, a technical depth that you've got to have to be able to dig in and understand kind of the design side of what a technology can or can't do. Uh, but almost more important than the design side is the applied side of the engineering of the job. How do you apply predictive analytics with machine learning with uh, a, a new database platform to be able to provide a new outcome that solves a specific business problem? And so the way that we approach it is I have a chief technology officer and he has a team of design engineers who do experiments with new technologies. Some of them are technologies that we develop and patent. Some of them are technologies that we look at and adopt like a blockchain. Uh, and they, they, they own coming back to the rest of the technology organization and telling us when a technology is number one, real, uh, number two, uh, scalable, and number three, stable. So those are our kind of criteria to say a new technology is ready for introduction when it meets those three criteria. Then there's a second part of our CTO team. This is where the architects come into play who are then responsible for creating the, the applied engineering design where they create the use cases for how we want to apply technologies. And it's typically multiple technologies together. So mobility plus predictive analytics plus our data lake are a big part of what's enabling our usage-based insurance in our personal lines product. And it's the architects who work with our business product owners to help them understand how those technologies are going to combine together to provide a unique experience to a customer. Um, so, so that's really the process behind it. And when we talk about our technology strategy, so last week was our strategic meeting with our board of directors. Uh, we spend four hours at every board meeting on technology. In the last one, it was all around tech strategy. And we laid out the technologies that we think are going to have the biggest impact on our business for the next five years. And we laid out a roadmap of how we're going to apply those technologies across our business processes and products. And do you do any type of like, you know, hackathons or like employee specific events or things that uh, kind of drive like, you know, bottom up innovation and things like that? We run an enterprise hackathon once a year. Uh, we limit it to 50 teams. It happens in four locations around the United States in a 24 hour period. So they kick off on a Thursday after Thursday morning around kind of like 9, 10 a.m. And they finish with judging at noon on Friday. Uh, and it has been a great incubator for ideas. Uh, in the top five winners for this year, for example, one team built a brand new application for quoting auto insurance in 60 seconds by taking a picture of a, a driver's license and a VIN number. And they built a working prototype that actually used our underlying rules engines to quote a product that could actually be bound 
we've since then taken that product and embedded it in a new product we're launching this month for our agents. Uh, and so that's one example where it's come full circle. And the best part in those top five, there was one group of associates who was uh, not, there were not IT professionals. There was a group of associates that were interns. There was a group of associates who were contractors, uh, all who ended up with great solutions and all five of which have led back into product innovation that's happening inside of our businesses. And then throughout the year, uh, each of our business units have sub hackathons that they run. So they'll run some business specific ones. So I'd say throughout a given year, you've got the one big enterprise one, and there's probably 10 to 15 other hackathons that happen at the business unit level. The other thing that we do on an annual basis is we hold our own tech con. So, our, we, it's, so it's our own technical conference. Uh, so just like you might go to a Gartner or you might go to uh, uh, an Oracle conference or an AWS conference, reInvent just finished, we actually run our own inside nationwide. It's led by our associates. Uh, they set up the content. There's both kind of broad main stage content and a ton of subcontent that they uh, curate and they bring the team together. And so we bring the entire IT organization this time uh, we had about 2,500 participants this year when we did it, all who come and participate for a day and a half on our own technical conference so that we can keep our own skills up. Uh, and so that's the second thing that we do. And then uh, I'll give you a little bit of a preview to something new coming that we haven't even really announced uh, this year for all of our associates. So all uh, 27,000 associates uh, across the company, we're going to start providing a technical training curriculum to start to build up the technical acumen in all jobs across the company. So we're doing a lot within Nationwide to make sure that we are prepared for a future that looks more like a technology-driven set of solutions to protect our customers than it ever has in the past. Are there any moments over the past, um, you know, a few months or, or um things that you've been just specifically really proud of or initiatives or uh, that you've launched or, or, or whatever that something that you kind of looked at and, and just really was not necessarily surprised to your team, but just uh, really excited about. Yeah. You know, we're the largest provider of retirement plan solutions for public sector companies. So think police offices, uh, city police, uh, city workers, uh, and one of the gaps, surprisingly, that still existed within that market is there weren't good mobile tools for them to be able to manage their retirement income. Uh, We're on the back end of replacing our underlying transactional system for retirement plans. Um, and what I was really proud about, they just not just even proud about, blew me away, is that the team recognized there was a gap with uh, this mobile application and with a very, very small team of people in eight weeks from inception to launch, launched a new mobile application for doing self-service transaction management of retirement plans across all of our 457 program providers with no advertising or marketing, launched it and had 10,000 downloads within the first couple of weeks uh, all built on the agility that we've been building on in the last kind of three to four years. Had we not done the work to build the core transactional system, had we not 
converted to 100% agile lines. I don't know that we could get there, but this team with a very small amount of money created a new piece of, of digital capability for that product set that's now differentiating in its marketplace in less than eight weeks. And I, and I just blew me away by that. What about a moment that has been kind of like a, a, a struggle or, or something? It doesn't have to be necessarily nationwide or just over the years that you kind of look back on. Um, or maybe it's something that's coming up in the not too distant future that uh, is going to is kind of one of those uh, hurdles that you had to jump over. I think the hurdle we're all going to have to to jump over is the explosion of data that's coming at us right now. I've had to go back to uh, early career training in Six Sigma recently. One of the things that the explosion in data is doing is it's putting more and more information at our fingertips every day. And you can get overwhelmed very quickly trying to sift through that information. And so one of the things I've had to do is, is literally pull my Six Sigma books back off the shelf, get myself reacquainted with creating an A3 where I'm clearly defining a problem that needs to be fixed, defining how I'm going to measure the problem, making sure that I've got good data about the problem, and then only using that data and that measurement system to be able to go back and analyze the problem. Um, and instead what's been happening is we get so sucked into all of the data that we churn uh, into analyzing the data without the questions and we end up chasing the problem and not the answer. Uh, and so for me, I think that all of us are gonna face a world where, yeah, it's great having all this extra data, but it actually can provide more cover than, than guidance on how to address a problem you're trying to fix. Speaking of data, you and I have something in common um, in that we have both probably seen a large number of lacrosse games. Um, yes, we have. Can you, how many lacrosse games do you think you've, gone, uh, you've been to? Including, including the weekend tournaments? Yeah, including weekend tournaments. It's in the hundreds, if not close to a thousand. Yeah, so my sister played, uh, played lacrosse in, uh, in high school and college and uh, went to Cal Poly. So I was always down there. And I, I think I've been to about a thousand uh, lacrosse games as well. And they, they won a national, I think they won national championship like three times in a row or something like that for, for clubs. So it was every tournament, it was, they were always in the finals. Uh, and I feel like we have that in common. You know, my daughter, uh, we, you know, I had to move my uh, daughter her junior year in high school. I'd say she was ready to kill me. <laughs> she went from a team in Georgia that was the runner-up state D1 school. So it was the, the main division uh, state runner-up for lacrosse. And then we came to Ohio. And uh, as luck should have it, we moved into a district that had a strong lacrosse program and last year they were the state champs in division one for Ohio for girls lacrosse. And I'd say that's the only thing that saved me from getting murdered at the end of last year. So <laughs> lacrosse is not only a passion because my daughter plays it, but I think it saved my relationship with her too. And it's a great sport. I've spent more times trying to figure out how to do all the different carries and all the stuff with the lacrosse sticks sitting around on the, on the sidelines. Final question before we get in the lighting round. Uh, I noticed that you have been involved in Europe in the past, and I, I also um, was involved in that. It, it, care to share anything about the program? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. 
and my answer is going to come from two different positions. One from an IT leader that is having a hard time finding talent and two uh, just from somebody who sees a need in our community. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with year up, year up is an organization. It's a nonprofit. It's in about 20 plus cities in the United States. And what their focus is, is on youth between the ages of 18 to 25 that for a variety of reasons, found themselves in a situation where they don't necessarily have a college education and they're going to be destined to a minimum wage job. Best they're going to get is minimum wage. And what Europe does is it comes in and it gives them a second chance. It says, whatever that problem was, you had a kid and you needed childcare, you didn't have enough money to go to college. We don't care. We're going to find a way to get you through that. And we're going to give you a set of skills. And so they spend six months in a training program that teaches them both life skills and then a trade. And in our case, it's been how to be a technologist. So how to be in cybersecurity, how to be part of a PC and desktop support team or how to write software. And then we pick them up in the second six months as an intern. And they come in and they do intern work for us uh, and then graduate. We just brought our first uh, inaugural class through nationwide. Uh, we hired everybody who came through that first class. Uh, and you hear the stories at graduation uh, that are just incredible. And I'll just share one of them. Uh, one of the first uh, people we hired in my last job at G was uh, a gentleman who grew up in inner city, Boston, Quincy. Uh, you know, his uh, dad wasn't in the picture. Mom was working two jobs. Um, the person he looked up to was the guy on the corner selling drugs and, uh, his, uh, best friend was shot his freshman year in high school. And this guy, uh, who is a great guy found himself in a situation where he assumed his future was going to be to be the next guy on the corner until one day a friend introduced him to year up. Uh, he went through their program. He became part of our executive uh, desktop support team in Boston. And we turned what was going to be at best a minimum wage job into a long-term career. And he's actually moved on now into his second company. Uh, and so I found that one, there's just a great purpose because it's giving a, a part of our population that needs a career uplift a chance. But then the second part is I can't find enough great talent. And for me, it's also just another source of highly diverse, talented individuals who are as loyal as the day is long because of the break that you give them. Uh, and I was so impressed that I joined their national board and I haven't looked back. And so I'm a big proponent, big supporter. If you're not familiar with them, check them out if they're in your local area. I highly encourage you. It's low risk. Bring in an intern. See what they can do for you. Yeah, I love it. I think I went to their ball like a number of years ago um and and was supporting a friend who uh who was trying to do that but yeah it's i mean you know it's there's a war for talent uh, always uh forever um and uh and places like that are just so good at figuring out how to get folks engaged especially in technology where it's just so hard to crack the code if you don't know what you don't know um and that yeah it's really cool so i'm glad glad you shared that all right, let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. Fast and easy questions, lightning round style. Jim, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, 
what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? You know, I got to admit, uh, sadly to say I'm a candy crush guy. What is your favorite thing to cook or eat? Uh, I'm, I've become uh, really good at uh, smoking brisket. Oh, man. When <laughs> uh, are you having people over? When you get up at three in the morning and you start it, it's great. So show up by noon on Saturday and I'll have it ready for you. <laughs> now we're talking. Um, are you an Ohio sports fan? Go Bucks. OH. I was just going to say, you must be getting ready. Yeah. Favorite place that we, that a listener has never been to Ohio, where should they visit? If you've never been to Ohio, then I think you, you got to come to the short north in Columbus. It is uh, some of the best restaurants you're going to find anywhere in the region. And it's a cool place to hang out. What do you do for fun? I love to start projects I never finish. I, f- I find that uh, if you talk to my wife, she would tell you, I love to be a handyman around the house, but just don't ever ask me to get anything done. Will you have a digital twin at some point in the future? Already have it. <laughs> can, can you share more? Uh, we've been working on this idea of a digital twin of a customer and how do we make sure that we can meet them in the moment uh, that they need. And so we've been building, uh, we call, we, 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 uh, affectionately call it Jim Bob. And so Jim Bob is my digital twin here at nationwide. What is your best advice for a first time CIO? Start your job out by learning how your company makes money. If you understand that it puts the rest of what you have to do in perspective. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I'd say the question that I never get asked is, what more do I need to learn uh, to help my business be successful? Yeah, what do you need to learn? Yeah, I, th- I think we are underestimating the level of digital acumen it takes to transform a company. And it can't just be the job of the CIO or the CTO or the CDO. That it really means that everybody's got to increase their knowledge of how technology works and how it's going to change the way that our customers do business with us. Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate having you. Any final thoughts, anything to plug open requisitions for on Jim's team. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll link those up in the show notes. 250 open jobs. We're looking for a lot of cloud and software developers. And I'd say anybody with a passion with data, we got a ton of great jobs out there. Thanks so much for coming on. Great. Thanks Ian. Appreciate it. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform.